welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Pastured Pig Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Troy. Today, we are just going a little bit north, just a cat's whisker above the Mason-Dixon line, and we're going to talk with Charles Lafferty from Skyline Pastures. Welcome, Charles. Thank you, Troy. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on. So this is not my first time talking with Charles. In fact, Charles and I have been communicating via email for, for a while now. How long has it been? When did you start this project? Back in late 2022. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. I thought we were been at least six months that we've been talking. But uh, so with this discussion today, we're going to go in a little different direction. We're still talking about pastured pigs, but we're going to talk about how Charles is using a grant to help explore the benefits of pastured pigs, not only for just his farm, but for other farmers and uh, even has a veteran slant to this. So really, really like what he's got going on here. I think you guys are going to uh, enjoy this conversation because there's going to be a lot to glean from this when it comes to, hey, how do we incorporate um, grant opportunities into growing our pastured pig operations to help us in that situation? So so first of all, Charles, I think it's important to obviously, um, let, let's talk about you a little bit. Tell us where you are, kind of your the 40,000 foot elevation of your farm, and maybe how long you've been involved with pigs. So we're in Berks County, Pennsylvania, uh, just outside of Hamburg, uh, there's a big Cabela's there if people are familiar with the area. Oh, yeah. And uh, I've been farming for four years, uh, really five. Uh, but the first year was just kind of learning how to care for animals. That was a couple batches of broiler chickens. And then this is my third year uh, raising pigs for, for butcher. Um, I do it all part time, uh, as, as we'll discuss later. I'm in the Army full time. But uh, my goal is to transition out of the army and and kind of take this farm to my full time enterprise. And uh, obviously, uh, this research project uh, should help with getting my woods uh, into a more of a civil pasture system and uh, allow me to maximize the use there and hopefully recreate it on additional acreage in the future yeah all right so so give me a little overview of the lay of the land so uh, are you do you own the property you own are you leasing it how many acres flat rolling mountains it's uh it's consistently so uh, it's on the essentially the south facing side of a, a large hill it's mm-hmm. 12 acres okay so from the bottom to the top, it's it's all uphill, but you know nothing is extreme. You wouldn't need a, you know, you can walk the whole thing. Um, half of it is in pasture, and half is in woods. Um, of that pasture, part of it is my house and yard, uh, and then I have two, roughly two acre pastures where I raise a couple beef cattle, and I have a pet donkey. Um, the donkey also shares his pasture with the meat chickens and the uh, turkeys we raise each year. And um, and then I have six acres of woods, which about four of it uh, gets pigs. The rest has a, a stream running through it that I try and keep the pigs out of. Yeah, yeah, 
Okay, cool. So it's uh, so no no row cropping that you're doing right now on that, uh, but you do have a, a good balance of cleared land and then forested land. Yes, sir. About fifty fifty. Yeah, excellent. Okay, so um, interesting. So you're you're three years into pigs, like I said, about five years into farming. So what what kind of got you in this direction anyway? Being a career military, what made you think okay, farming's where it's at. So I just, uh, I do enjoy being outside. It's kind of, you know, that's a very stereotypical answer, but I, I like being outside and the army, uh, gives me a lot of time, uh, to be outside. Well, it used to anyway, I have an office job now, but, uh, but really it was my last deployment. Um, I was working at a desk and, uh, I had, you know, a lot of free time on my hands. So, I spent most of it watching YouTube videos and things like that and looked at a lot of Joel Salatin and, you know, similar, uh, similar leaders in the, the sustainable farming space and, uh, just decided that's something I wanted to try. So as soon as I came back to the States, uh, it was 20, 2018, my wife and I were, uh, wanting to move off our 10th acre lot anyway. Mm. Um, so luckily, uh, we found this place, you know, 12 acres and bought it before everything got crazy with COVID. <laughs> yeah. And because uh, now I wouldn't be able to afford this property. Right, exactly. But uh, yeah, I mean, on the 10th acre, I kept chickens and I kept two goats. And uh, fortunately, it was in a neighborhood that really didn't care what I did, you know, and I wasn't bringing their property values down. So, yeah, uh, you know, I was but I, I wouldn't call that farming. Those were all pets. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, so now you're on the 12 acres and you, you've, you've stuck your toe in the water for the last five years of, of, of doing, of raising protein for profit for your own personal consumption as well. So, so why, why at this point did um, you start looking? I mean, did, did somebody come to you about a potential grant? Did you think, Hey, there's, there's some potential here I ought to explore. What, what kind of motivated you to go in that direction? So people would, people like to visit the farm, uh, especially people that buy meat from us and they would always come and uh, they, I'd always get comments like, Oh, you know, I have, some woods but it's not enough to to run a couple pigs or uh you know or or i know of a space that you know that basically just unused woods that are at most uh deer you know deer hunting land but even so if it's only an acre or two you're not really going to do a lot of deer hunting in that so just you know wood lots that are sitting there untouched mm -hmm. so i'm trying to so i started looking around and i came across northeast sare uh and they had a lot of published papers of previous uh, projects showing that, you know, you can establish, it's not, you know, not entirely about establishing silvopasture systems, but you can raise pigs in the woods um, without uh, damaging the, the land. You actually improve the land and uh, you can do so profitably as long as you keep your stocking density at a reasonable uh, quantity. And so I started reading these papers and they were from all over the country and, you know, down south and pine uh, areas and up in Oregon. But no one had really done what I want to do in the northeast region. So, uh, you know, in primarily deciduous forest, uh, opening up the canopy, allowing, you know, taking out 
less desire, you know, maples and things like that that don't really pr produce a, a mast and uh, then allowing the the ground to grow, you know, a thick layer of forage and then running pigs in there and keeping them moving. Uh, no one had done that in this region. So I went through the application process saying, he, here's what I'd like to do. I think a lot of farmers in Pennsylvania especially could benefit from this. They have you know, wood strips that serve mostly as windbreak for their corn and soy fields uh, with very minimal infrastructure. They could fence those in and the pigs take care of themselves. You, you just got to make sure they have water and, and food. And, and then uh, at the end of the, you know, season, butcher them. And now your chunk of woods that was just a windbreak has produced you know, a couple thousand dollars for you and filled your freezer with pork. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. So, man, yeah, I love that. I love the idea of, of just kind of looking at a, a not even really a problem, but just, um, I guess technically it would be a problem, but, you know, fallow woods and, and this idea of there's there's really not much to serve, especially when you get, I know in your neck of the woods, agriculture is really big up there. So you get in that neck of the woods and it's like people are like, well, we're not going to mess with this. There's just no use of this, of all this wooded land, or they're going to come in and clear a bunch of it so they can row crop it. Uh, because they're trying to maximize the dollar per acreage in that situation. But what you're presenting is, hey, there's actually a, a way to to maximize some acreage, produce an additional product, so you've got product diversity, and then also improve the land as you go along. So, yeah, I like that. I like that multi-tiered approach to uh, to coming up with a solution to something that's just kind of laid and fallow. Well, certainly is. I mean, they're paying tax on that land, you know, right. regardless. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. exactly. So, so tell me a little bit about, give, uh, give our listeners a little bit of a background of Northeast SARE. First of all, SARE is an acronym for Sustainable Agricultural Research and Education. And so the Northeast part is, in fact, this, this is like the Northeast Division of SARE. Is that correct? Yes, sir. So it's uh, basically West Virginia down to Pennsylvania and then all the way up to Maine uh, and all the way east. Um, and they, their goal is to uh, essentially uh, empower, you know, farmers in the, in this region. There's every, Sarah is huge, right? So every chunk of America ha is is incorporated into a region. But their goal is to uh, not not only through grants, but also through a lot of free things. They have webinars. They have tons of information that's available for free on their. Uh, site which in our case is northeast.sare.org and uh you know in my case they're giving me uh a grant to uh buy high quality uh pasture mixes to throw into the system after the pigs rotate and then uh obviously they're paying me for my time to roll up all the research take the soil tests and very clearly show what i hope is a positive effect the pigs are having on the woods um, additionally, we're going to do some tree plantings in the, uh, so when a pig's in a paddock, uh, if anyone's unfamiliar, they, they always kind of root toward the fence line mm. and they create these natural berms along the fence. I run premier one hog net, um, which I, I think just gives me a, an added level of confidence in my fencing because I have no perimeter fencing on the, on the farm. So the hog net is, it will stop a pig at a run. Um, 
maybe not twice, but certainly once <laughs> before they, they bend the post. Whereas with running two strands of hot wire, which I used to do multiple times, I had pigs on both sides of the wire, which is not desirable. I had set up until this year, I'll never get a pig out of this hog net, but the other day I went out and one of the piglets got spooked and ran right under the fence because they're still that small. Yeah, yeah. And uh, fortunately, they never want to leave their buddies. So if 11 are in the fence and one's out, he ain't going nowhere. He's right. just going to hang out till he gets a chance to get back in there. Exactly, yeah. But uh, in those berms that they make along the fence lines, I'm going to plant uh, trees. Uh, a lot of them will be like fruit and berry stuff you know that'll that'll produce a an edible mast i'm also going to plant some fodder species that i can kind of prune and coppice uh and then drop back into the the paddock so the pigs can eat it and then uh and you know in addition to that uh, if there's an area that's extra swampy i'll plant something that's a heavy drinker or if they're you know if the soil tests show that a certain paddock is low on nitrogen i'll plant something that's going to benefit that you know that's the idea so um i'll create these reusable paddocks that only see pig pressure once a year and uh you know set a a, a template of sorts that other people could mimic on their properties and and like i said uh now they're getting good pork and making their lamb better at the same time yeah yeah that, that's great that's great. So I, I want to drill down on a lot of that and get into to some of the details because you said some things there. I think our listeners' ears kind of perked up. So um, the one thing you said is that this grant is going to pay your time to record this data to, to do this extra work, but they're also going to pay you, um, reimburse you for the seed mixes, the tree saplings, uh, you know, whatever whatever you've listed on your grant application for reimbursement, then they're going to cover that as part of accepting the grant. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Okay. So, so I think that's fascinating. So that's something that I really want to underscore with our listeners. So, so what Charles is doing here, he's, he's not reinventing the wheel, right? But he is kind of sticking his neck out and trying to do what we're we're all kind of doing but taking it to that next level to say hey we know anecdotally that pigs in the woods seem to be a pretty good thing right so what if we really made this a a a deep dive to do this a data capture data gathering type of thing and just see how beneficial they are and how we can maximize that so so anytime we farmers look at this opportunity to try something new then we have to look at the cost and the risk associated with that this grant is helping charles alleviate that risk and that cost was that fair to say Yes, sir. Yeah. So, so I love this. I love this approach to say, hey, with especially with pastured pigs, we, we lean more towards the sustainable model. We lean more towards non-conventional, but we also we're also usually very pragmatic and we're not flush with cash. So we have to we have to minimize our risk as much as possible. So the grant is helping Charles explore not only how to maximize his land and his production, but to produce data to underscore that so it can benefit others in the future. So I love this idea that Sarah is helping him not only fund the equipment and expenses associated with this, but also values his time. So, so Charles, how did, you, how did you come about that calculating the time it's going to take to do this above and beyond your regular farm chores? 
So I, I keep, you know, notes that improve over time. Uh, my, my initial years scribbles are kind of haphazard, but, uh, last year I kept pretty accurate time, you know, time data on what exactly my inputs were. So, you know, I, you know, I essentially used a stopwatch and okay, I'm going down to take care of the pigs. Here's how long it took to fill the waters and move the fencing and everything else. So then I determined over two years, uh, you know, what, what it takes me like, so what it takes me to do two runs of pigs to include all the, all the activities, including gathering up for butcher and everything else. And, uh, and it came out to about, it's only about 60 hours a season of total time that I put in to the pigs. Like I said, they, they're highly self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. Um, the most time consuming part is definitely moving the fences and, uh, kind of cutting through the multi-floor rows to, to build my fence lines as I establish the paddocks. Uh, in the future, that time's only going to get less because those fence lines will be, in my hope, permanent. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. So looking at looking at that situation, <clears throat> excuse me, where you're, you're calculating your time, you're presenting that in your proposal, um, what else? I know when we talked about like a lot of the fencing equipment, and the things you already had, you didn't, of course, need to put those on the grant because you already had them. But what other things did you list as uh, out-of-pocket expenses that you were asking for a reimbursement of? So, yeah, it's important to note that infrastructure costs uh, or anything with any, I guess, level of permanence wouldn't be covered by the grant anyway. Um, unless it had, like, so the grant would cover, if I was doing, if the fencing had a usable life of 10 years, uh, probably more like five years and I was using it for the grant and purchasing it I would only be able to fund 40% of that with the grant or you know the two years of its usable life um, but I already had it so I, I didn't include any of that what I did include was pasture seed um, I kind of used I just read the bag you know and determined what it is to establish new pasture so once the pigs beat up a pasture it's going to take me x amount of pounds per acre um, to go out there and hand spread. Uh, so that's on there. I, I put the shipping cost uh, for it so that, you know, so that I can get it delivered. Um, and Sarah pays everything on net 30. So I send them my invoices and they reimburse me. Uh, probably also important to note that this is all, this isn't like free money, right? It, uh, they're going to send me uh, a tax document saying it's income. Right, right. Um, but if I can show a direct expense, dollar for dollar against the income it'll be a net zero when i when i report exactly uh tree plantings so uh my goal is to plant two or three year old trees uh rather than like bare root cuttings because they're gonna do better out there um and i you know i'm gonna run drip irrigation line along these berms uh, but i wanted more expensive trees uh, because they're going to have a higher survivability. Mm-hmm. So I put the uh, cost of the trees on there and the shipping to have the trees delivered. Um, and then sales tax, because in Pennsylvania, apparently trees are taxable. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, again, the drip irrigation line and even things like the soil sampling and the, the Ziploc bags that I have to put the soil samples in to mail them to Penn state extension to have the test run. Um, I put in my, my forecasted travel, 
to the post office, uh, to anywhere that I can't get equipment shipped. And then uh, I budgeted for uh, my technical advisor uh, is a professional forester out of a, a, a forestry uh, agency here in or a forged company rather here in Pennsylvania. Uh, and he's going to give me three consultations. Uh, one consultation was outside of the grant window. I had to, ha I had it done last year just to kind of get a, an initial establishment template or, you know, like a, a tree survey done so mm -hmm. I could see what needs to be removed to get the silvopasture started. But the other three consultations are also factored into the grant so that, uh, you know, I'll have basically, you know, collegiate level buy-in on what I'm doing. Uh, so, you know, it, it lends, a, I guess, a, an air of credibility to the to the research. Yeah, yeah. So that's all factored in to the grant. And then the uh, end result uh, is about uh, $11,500 paid out over two years to uh, establish this system. Very good. Very good. So... Now, the one thing you didn't mention was the feeder pigs. I assume that you are covering the cost of those, correct? Yes, uh, Sarah will not cover the cost of livestock. Yeah, yeah. So in that sense, too, since you're covering the cost of the livestock, then you get the profits off of uh, any production at the tail end of the livestock life cycle, I assume. Certainly. They're also not paying for grain or, yeah. like I said, there's no infrastructure costs in here with the exception. There's no, I guess, non-living infrastructure costs. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if trees are considered infrastructure. But. <laughs> well, good. That man, that that's that's really helpful. And if you would, uh, you know, I want to be uh, full disclosure on this. The reason why Charles and I've been talking about this for six months is he asked me to to provide some additional insight. And technically, I'm considered a key cooperator. What exactly does that mean, Charles, from your perspective? So, for the grant uh, to even qualify for submission. I need a, a technical advisor, which is the forester. Um, and that is somebody that works in the agricultural space I'm pursuing at a professional level and is willing to uh, submit certain reports and uh, weigh in. Uh, and they're really looking for like a government agency or a PhD level individual uh, to do that since it is a research grant. Um, and then the key cooperator is anybody with knowledge of the, the space or that is in a position to kind of help uh, further the goals of, of the project, uh, which obviously you with your, your podcast and your raising pigs in the woods knowledge are, was a perfect fit for that. So I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful that you, you agreed to help me out. And, uh, and I think that, you know, there's a high probability that, uh, having you down there as someone who can get the, you know, basically lend some publicity to the the project uh, was definitely advantageous to me getting approval on my grant. Yeah, yeah, great, great, and it's it's one of those things when you look at it. Obviously, I I see the benefit in 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 Sarah saying, hey, we need technical expertise and we need support. So it, it just shows buy-in, it shows community, it it it, it leads 
uh, lends credence. And it's not that, that I carry any weight per se um, of who I am, but like you said, just, just having community involved in that to say, hey, there's other people that like what I'm doing. They're going to agree to participate in that. And you know, in my position is, is a non-paid position. It's, it's not anything expecting any type of um, compensation for, but I just love what Charles is doing here. And I thought this would be great fodder for our podcast and our other uh, uh, social media channels just to show that, hey, this is an opportunity to try new things on your farm to make your farm more profitable. So, um, so yeah, I really appreciate you you including me in this, Charles. I've enjoyed it. I, I love looking over stuff, and that's the thing. It's 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 not a heavy lift because it's like read and look and comment and all that type of stuff. You're not asking me to come up there and plant trees or anything. It's it's just right. simply look at the game plan and and be involved in that and just kind of follow it as it goes along. I think it you know, lends a little bit of accountability as well, just to say, hey, um, yeah, I like I like where this is headed. You know, you're or you've got a looks like you may have a, a speed bump coming up that needs to be addressed type of thing. So let's let's do this. Let's. I know we've kind of in the introduction, you kind of went around exactly what you were doing, and, and you know the the gist of it is, hey, we're we're raising pigs in pasture or in, in woodlot. We're we're trying to see the value of that. But when it came time to to actually putting together the problem solution of what you're trying to do and what you're trying to determine. So what is the out the intended outcome? Can you can you go back and just summarize that again so everyone everyone knows the scope and the timeline. And we'll get in and we'll get in the timeline second, but just kind of talk about the scope of the project uh, in some of those key points. Yep. So the the project encompasses roughly four acres of, of our woodlot. That is uh, right now a lot of standing dead ash, a lot of maple um fortunately you know the the ash trees falling over have started the the silvopasture process for me uh because they create these huge openings in the canopy and then i get a lot of grasses growing i also get a lot of multiflora rose growing so uh i've gone out there and tried to remove some of that but the pigs uh i leave big chunks of it the pigs actually use it as like you know shade and they get in there and it, the thorns don't seem to bother them so right. um but i leave a lot of that but we're doing my goal was to do 14 pigs this year which is what i did last year uh unfortunately i was only able to get 12 from uh, a farm in york uh, pig hollow farms which those guys are great if you guys ever if you're in pennsylvania or maybe northern maryland and looking for a, a place with very healthy uh you know very uh, energetic piglets. Uh, that's that's where I got mine for two years now. Uh, but I ro- I rotate them through anywhere from four to six paddocks. It all depends on their impact. So once they start, you know, before they moonscape an area, I move them off of it into another. And I do have a lot of flexibility to kind of draw the paddocks as I envision them. Uh, and you work around fallen trees and things like that. And then once they leave a paddock, I'll go in there, I'll broadcast seed, I'll do those tree plantings, I'll take a follow-up soil sample uh, to send off to the lab, and that'll show before and after uh, effects of the pigs, to, you know, mostly nutrition, uh, well, you know, what their effect the manure had on it and any kind of decomposition from them trampling uh plant matter into the ground, things like that. And then the forester will actually come and take 
compaction sample or you know, compaction readings, uh, which we did last year. And the pigs don't really compact the soil at any kind of, uh, I guess, detrimental level. There, there's a in their pathways. There's a couple inches of, uh, you know, more firm soil. But once you get down below that pathway, it's it's all very healthy. Um, and then we move them around. They're on farm for about six months. Uh, they're about two months old when I get them, and then we butcher in October. Yeah. So this is going to be a a kind of a two year cycle, right? We're gonna we, you've got your baseline set with your soil samples and the forester's assessment of this four acres. So that's your baseline. You run one year uh, process in the fall, take samples again, let uh, the pastures lay fallow or the woodlots lay fallow for the uh, for the winter, and then do the exact same thing again. So you're technically doing two rotations, and then your grant will end uh, technically the fall of 2024, correct? Yes, sir. And it's, like I said, uh, there's no guaranteed outcome, but it's my expectation and certainly my hope that I'm going to very quantifiably be able to demonstrate that the pigs have a, a positive effect on uh, fertility, usable plant species, uh, and, and really no detriment out there in the woods. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, after two years, that's uh, I will have gathered sufficient data to show a trend. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that, especially with, with the information you're gathering, that that will be very helpful for uh, for people looking at that research to say hmm, okay this this is this is intriguing but um so are you incorporating as part of your data are you tracking anything as far as um the uh, life cycle of the pig weight gain uh, feed conversion all that type of stuff so i track all that for my own personal use um and i'll include it with my report but i i don't know that it's necessarily pertinent to the to the data the data i'm uh, i guess presenting is more on the woods the pigs are just a tool to improve the woods yeah um but uh, again uh as we had discussed earlier uh i was going to use more so my first year i used largely duroc genetics and they did very well those pigs uh inside of inside of eight months closer to seven months were all 300 pounds uh or more i had one that was he was just a grower um, but last year, uh, I raised, I was unable to get piglets from that, uh, original provider. So last year I raised, uh, the pig hollow farm pigs, uh, they come from a primarily large black genetics, which they're great pigs. Uh, they don't really get any sunburn. Uh, and they, they do, they're very great at foraging. They love grass. They love digging up, uh, you know, all the walnuts and hickory nuts that are buried out there. Um, they just grow a little slower so last year after eight months i butchered closer to 240 pound pigs on average um i was also messing around with different feed styles and whether you know free feeding versus scheduled feeding uh, and kind of just testing um different methods uh it is now firmly my belief that free feeding is the only way to go uh and that the waste which uh, because I don't have one of those uh, big green outdoor $3,000 feeders. Right. <laughs> uh, the waste is is just something I have to deal with. Um, I tried a, a variety of troughs, uh, all hand built. Um, 
And what I'm using now, if you're familiar with Jordan Green, mm-hmm. uh, he he makes one out of an IBC tote. Yes. And uh, I built one of those. It works well, but I, I fine-tuned it again this year. We'll see how it does. Uh, the slit in the bottom of the tote where the feed falls out into the trough and goes through those PVC pipe baffles, I, I made it smaller mm-hmm. uh, because last year they were probably wasting – 10 to 15 dollars a feed a day on me yeah wow. which which very quickly adds up and if it's on the ground uh and there's nice clean dry feed in the trough they're, they're just going to trample the stuff on the ground and not eat it exactly yeah yeah that that's definitely the balance you got to strike there and figure out what what works best for you and your your environment so um charles let's talk real quickly about um coming back around to the actual reporting because i know i think some people would be reluctant to say well yeah i, I can't um, I, I don't think I can handle all the reporting and the requirements and the benchmarks. I'm afraid. What if I miss? Am I going to be in trouble? Am I going to have to re? You know, am I going to owe a bunch of money? Am I going to, you know, end up being insolvent because of something missed there? What are the first of all? What are the data reporting requirements? And then what are the contingencies in place with a grant like this, just in case something would happen? You know, God forbid you you have a you know a, a broken leg or something that's going to keep you out for the season. How how do you manage those type of things? What's what's ex, what's the expectations there? So the expectation is that I'll obviously meet all the benchmarks that I I'm the one that set them forth for myself. Um, the the SARE, I guess is protected because they pay on net thirty, right? So they don't just give me money they they pay uh i i send them invoices that i've already paid and then they reimburse me so they work strictly on a reimbursement basis Mm -hmm. um so obviously they're not putting out any money that would that hasn't gone to the the spirit of the grant um as far as reporting there is a pretty like a very very detailed report that i'm going to provide at the end of year two uh at upon completion um but I, it's my intent to uh, publish, at least through my website, uh, monthly reports showing, you know, here basically here's what we did. Just a little one-pager on kind of here's what the pigs are doing. Here's a picture of them. See, you know, here's, here's a picture of the paddocks. Here's the effect they're having. And not only will that give me feeder data for that final report, but it'll also... Uh, anybody who's trying to mimic this will be able to kind of follow along and uh, potentially even we could share data like, hey, here's here's what this species is doing. Here's what plants they're eating, things like that, which would be very interesting to me. Um, but uh, again, I, I prescribed all the gates in my application. So it's on me to meet the gates. If mm-hmm. I don't, uh, Sarah reserves the right to kind of end the project. And uh, and then that would be the end of it. But I'm I'm not going to let that happen. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna make sure I do what I said I'm gonna do. Right. Um. And then I'm also gonna host two workshops, where I'll be able to give. So for instance, in September of this year, I'm gonna host a workshop uh, here on the farm for anybody that wants to come, kind of see it firsthand. And I, I will present uh, all the data collected thus far. It'll include the original soil test data. Um, it'll include the, the plant inventory. Uh, and then obviously September, we're getting close to processing. So it'll have all the current, uh, feed consumption. I won't really have accurate weights, but I'll have eyeball weights, uh, and and things like that so that people can get kind of data as we go along. Yeah. Yeah. Good deal. 
Good deal. Yeah, I think that's going to be going to be a, a good way to to address those things. And I love the fact that the reporting and the and the benchmarks are the things that you've set. So it wasn't like Sayers you know, putting a, a heavy thumb down on you saying, "Yeah, here's what I need from you, and if I don't get it, we're going to pull this." But the fact that they're reimbursing you keeps you from being in a um, you know, like a loan situation. So that's money that you've taken, you've spent, and if you don't meet benchmarks, then you got to give that money back. Now, granted, you could obviously miss getting reimbursement, but you you, you really kind of hold the keys of the car in that situation. So the, the effort you put in uh, based upon what you've set is what's going to determine your reimbursement in those situations. So, you know, it, it sounds like that there's there's really not an opportunity for, oh, if I don't do this, there could be litigation, there could be, you know, uh, you know criminal charges, or there could even you know, just simply be um, uh, fines levied against me because I didn't do these certain things. Um, the way they've set it up is, of course, to keep uh, acts of God and, and accidents from, from upsetting the apple cart uh, and causing those type of situations. So I, I like how that's structured. Yes, sir. Okay, so um, real quick, what what challenges do you see? So you've raised pigs on pasture. This this isn't this isn't a new rodeo for you. This is something you've done. But what challenges do you see uh, with adding this element to this year's pigs life cycle? Is is there anything you think that's like, okay? Well, this is going to make things a little bit more difficult or more challenging. So certainly, uh, especially with the establishing of the, I guess the edible fence line um if the you know the pigs have a lot of uh potential to to kind of hinder that process so if they if they don't do what they did every other year and they don't build me that planting berm or they create uh, a wallow right against the fence then they're gonna uh create more work for me in establishing a planting area for the for the trees and shrubs um, and then, uh, you know, additionally, if, uh, you know, I don't, uh, if the, if things don't go as they, they're envisioned in my mind, then that's also going to create, uh, which they probably won't, right. It never does, right, but, right. but that's also going to create challenges, but I just have to adapt to them. And, and, you know, so maybe I don't plant tree X in space Y, you know, I gotta be very flexible. But aside of that, no, I don't. I don't expect uh, there's going to be really any additional burden. Uh, the the pigs are going to do what the pigs do, and and I just have to kind of let them do it, and then mold their behavior to fit the needs of the grant. Yeah, and and that's and that's part of the data collection. I mean, that's 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 how it works. Is you know, here's here's your intended outcome, but. Uh, depending on what happens, the hurdles you run into or the unforeseen circumstances, that's reported at that point. So you could say, wow, yeah, I had to come back and, and my planting density had to be greater or less or actually had to do more manual labor in building a berm because there's some places where the berm didn't exist at all. But that's part of the reporting as well to say, hey, here's, here's how maybe I learned uh, halfway through the year to encourage more berm building. Um, that comes into place. You know, it's funny you say that. I'm, I'm looking out my office window right now down at um, the very similar situation that I just really lucked into. It wasn't like, you know, Troy's evil genius here coming up with an idea. It's I, as a, coming down the side of our, our south mountain, I put my electric fence, uh, permanent fencing out away from the edge of the break of the mountain where it comes down into the pasture. I brought it out about five feet 
just so there would be some flat space for my pigs to interact and I could I can feed them there because I, I like to rotate their feed locations and over the the several years of rotating them through this area it's created that berm that you're talking of well what's great in the winter time if we have a, a heavy rain event and there's some uh, runoff and some potential erosion then that berm is actually creating an erosion catch so just the other day after about five years of those pigs being in that area rotated through uh, I took my tractor and just drove up the inside of that fig, pig area you know berm on one side hillside on the other with a bucket and I'm scooping out just incredible um, composted manure and topsoil and the leaves that have blown down the hill so it's just been it's just been wonderful. So the berm has produced something I was not expecting, uh, and by the way, of a silt catch, and then also just a, a compost area there. Uh, so those are the type of things I'm excited to see with your project. You, you can see these additional benefits or additional challenges, but, but just seeing, hey, this is what I think is going to work in my mind. Let's actually see how it plays out, though. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm only on, like I said, year three, but when you walk, I, it's unfortunate that I don't have pictures of what my woods looked like three years ago. Mm, yeah. Uh, but the, the, just from two full years of having pigs in there and the first year was only six pigs. Uh, the effect they have on it is, is really night and day. Um, they clean, they clean up everything that's fallen and dead. Uh, they open up the, uh, kind of the, pathways that you know the uh, to much more than a deer trail and uh they get rid of stuff that uh they uh i guess isn't beneficial either by trampling or eating it and that uh removal of those species allows a lot of grass a lot of clover a lot of things that they do want to pop up so it really is night and day they have uh the effect they have on the woods yeah yeah exactly exactly well, Charles, how do you, so we talked a little bit about you're going to present your findings on your website, and we're going to make sure that we have that down in our show notes so you guys can kind of see that uh, as it unfolds. I think you said you're going to try to post something monthly there. But what else? What else? I mean, we know we're going to, we're going to have this on our podcast. We're going to talk about that, um, even talking with you about ways that we can present it through the YouTube channel just to have a visual to go along with the uh, audio details here of the podcast. But it's my understanding as a veteran, you're also involved in in a, a, a network or you're going to incorporate this. So how, how does that dovetail into this network that you're that you told me about? So the Pennsylvania Veteran Farming Network, which is uh, you can find them at troopstotractors.org and I'll make sure you have their data as well, uh, is uh, they, I've actually worked with them for a while on a lot of things. They're a great organization. Um, and they have, uh, obviously, it's focused on Pennsylvania farmers, but um, they have a lot of really cool uh, projects and information on their site as well. But they're going to uh, help get the word out, especially about the um, the presentation that I'm going to give in September, the workshop that I'm going to host. Uh, so they'll help spread the word. Yes, I would like to gear my, uh, I guess, my information to to veterans that have the that are interested in agriculture because that's kind of the space i've been in for over 20 years but uh but really it's for anybody that's interested in in coming out and seeing what this can do because 
while everybody may not have a large acreage, uh, you know, and I guess 12 acres really isn't a large acreage, but it's larger than a lot of people have. Mm -hmm. uh, you could do this on so much less. All you got to do is reduce your stocking density. Um, but yeah, the Pennsylvania Veteran Farming Network uh, is going to help me with a another project I was working on to run uh, Waterline very recently. They helped me to uh, run pecs below frost line to a frost proof hydrant out in the woods uh, uh through print grant proposal that i i was uh able to uh obtain yeah and uh now now rather than dragging 300 feet of garden hose uh i have a hydrant out there in the middle of the woods awesome very to good fill pig waterers yeah that's great man love it i love it well, Charles, let me ask you this, and this is, uh, I want to be sensitive to your time here, so we'll probably make this our last question, but how would you encourage people that are listening to say, well, I'm not quite sure I even want to stick my toe in the water here, or I'm, I'm afraid of this, or I'm apprehensive of this type of process. How would you encourage somebody to say, hey, this, uh, this type of grant or exploring grants could be very advantageous for your farm? Yeah, I, I mean... It's hard, right? I, I guess just do it, but, um, but to I guess to be a little more realistic, uh, you have really nothing to lose when you read read whatever the proposal uh, asks for. If it's something that you know flat out, you're not going to be able to do. Uh, if there's maybe a public speaking portion of it that's required and that's not your bag, then then just don't consider that particular grant. But there are hundreds of grant opportunities uh with varying requirements uh out there and i uh i have a pretty high success rate with applying to for them but i also put for instance the sarah grant i probably have 80 hours of work into just the application right, right which can right. sound daunting but i worked on it over months um so i would read the proposal and determine if it's if it's something you're interested in something you can meet the requirements for and then just do it because once it's done uh you know you just have to hold yourself to to the work you agreed to do in the first place yeah. uh, and if you don't get accepted well then then you've lost nothing but a little bit of your time um i would also say that absolutely put your best foot forward when you're when you're applying you know don't just uh i guess kind of put half effort into uh, the application process. Take it, take it seriously, and and do your best work, and and the the results will be, you know, evident. There's an army term for that, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, there's a bunch of them. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and I think that's a really good point, and and I think the caution that we want to um, levy in this situation is, you know, don't think, you know, don't don't come at this flippantly and think, okay, somebody's going to give me money to do what I'm doing already. Yeah, that that's that's the wrong attitude. But if you're looking at a way to 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 enhance or to expand or to try something new on your farm and help minimize that risk of trying something new, then I think that's when a grant is a good fit for that. But if you're looking for somebody to just say, hey, here's another revenue stream I have for my farm that I'm going to try to take advantage of, then then that's not that's not going to be beneficial for you. You're going to you're going to be disappointed in the process. Certainly, it's never free money. Yeah, uh, that's right. <laughs> so you know you need to, you need to first of all, it's taxable as income. So you're going to have to either expense it 100, percent which is my goal, uh, or 
you know, pay uh, your income tax rate on it. Exactly. But yeah. more important than that, uh, especially with SARE, the point is to uh, conduct research and make it publicly available to kind of lift up the entire agricultural space through like, hey, here's the mistakes I made. Don't make them. Do something new uh, and do something that works. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Well, Charles, man, I appreciate you coming on the podcast, and it's good to actually talk to you, uh, actually hear your voice. I know we've communicated for uh, for months uh, via email, but uh, I'm really excited with what you've got going on here, and we will be doing some updates. Uh, you know, it's not like we're going to go 24 months from now and then do another podcast episode. Uh, who knows what can happen in 24 months, right? But we'll we'll, right. we'll touch base with you uh, from time to time and see how it's going and uh, make sure our, our listeners know that as well and they can uh, be able to go to your website. So first of all, let's, let's talk about that. So if people want to start following you right now, uh, what are your uh, digital opportunities to be pursued? So the best place to start would be skylinepastures.com. Uh, and then there you can find our blog where... There is some mention of this grant, but there's also everything else I do. Uh, we do uh, grass-fed beef. We do turkeys. We do pastured broilers. Um, and then my wife writes a lot of the blog posts. Uh, she's she's a much better wordsmith than I am, So, uh, and she's also very funny. So people do enjoy reading the blog. Uh, usually it's about some animal or another trying to murder her. Right. Um, you know so if you want a, a good laugh you can go there but there's also links to our instagram and facebook there um and then my contact information my name the farm's phone number things like that are all available there as well excellent excellent well i gotta say first of all i want to say thank you for your service uh for the years that you've spent in the military and i've noticed throughout this entire podcast episode you kept calling me sir and i know for a fact you outrank me so that uh <laughs> that wasn't necessary but uh but man, I appreciate it and um, really like what you've got going on here. No, I appreciate it. Thank you, Troy. All right. You have a great day. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com.